Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. And welcome to another edition of the Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. Pierre McGuire and me, Jimmy Murphy, here. And uh, we're going to get right into it, Pierre. Uh, we're excited. We've got another great cut. It's not on campus Friday, but we'll, we'll call it on campus Tuesday for now. And we are still going to have an on campus Friday. Yes, we are. <laughs> but uh, we're going to do a little, a little on campus on Tuesday. Why not? You know, because uh, we, we've actually missed a couple the last few weeks because of the holidays and everything. So this is great. And uh, to join us on on campus Tuesday right now is the head coach of the University of Maine Black Bears hockey team, Ben Barr, joining us uh, up from Orono, Maine. Coach, how you doing? I'm good, Jimmy. How are you? Hey, Pierre. I'm great. Coach, how are you? Jimmy, by the way, you see he's from Orono, Maine. He's from Faribault, Minnesota. Just want you to oh, know. Oh, yeah. Yep, I, don't... I know that. Yeah. I can't hear Pierre. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Just say, yeah, I don't know if that's my end or your. I can hear you, Jimmy. I can see you. I can't see Pierre. Uh-oh. Yeah, because I can hear him too. This has been a Murphy's Law day, he'll tell you that. Oh, you got me now? Do you have me now? He doesn't have me now. But anyway, Jimmy, he's from Faribault, Minnesota, home of okay. Shattuck St. Mary's. That's and right. He left, he left Shattuck St. Mary's and he eventually ended up at RPI. Awesome. Yeah. Shattuck St. Mary's uh, is where one Sidney Crosby went. Am I am I correct? Yes. And Nathan yeah. McK- Nathan McKinnon as well and Zach Parisi. And a bunch All right. Of- I'm getting told to log off and log back in. Oh, All right. Well, <laughs> log off and log back in. All right. I'm going to try this again. And, Jimmy, you know who else is from there? I don't want to shut him, cut him short is Jonathan Taves. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's right. Mary's a murderer's row of players. Yeah. You know, and and it's he's, not a high profile. There, there are a ton of them all okay. over. And Coach Bars is one of them um, that left there. And when he was done playing at RPI, he got right into the coaching business. Okay. Oh, we got him here. I got you guys. I can see you guys. Hey, Coach, you got Pierre? I got you, Pierre. I can see all you. All right. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Coach, I just want to be fair here. Jimmy said that you were from Orono, Maine. I said, no, 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 no. He's from, <laughs> from Faribault, Minnesota. He's a proud Shattuck St. Mary's man. I am. I am. As you uh, you know all about that 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 program, Pierre. And yeah. I was fortunate enough to be there at the early stages of what it's kind of become. And, um, yeah, right place, right time. Some nice amazing players. Some amazing players, Jimmy, have gone through there. Guys, have they, now, has it been the same coach through the whole – time since since you were there how many coaches they've had um there's been i mean there's a lot of teams so it's not just one but um, oh okay you know it was yeah like like craig norwich mike eve started it back in the day that was even before me and then jp parisi came with me brian riley was there who's the army head coach andy murray was there and then tom ward his first year of um of coach he's he's the current coach his first year was my senior year so he's He's been there for a long time, and he's like the face of it now. So Jimmy, just to make it fair, Jimmy, Coach is being nice about this. Andy Murray left Shattuck St. Mary's and coached in the NHL. You know, yeah. I'm just an example. So like that. Coach Ward that he was talking about, he left Shattuck and went to the Buffalo Sabres and then went back to Shattuck. So oh, wow. I mean, it, it's an amazing place. It's not just for players. It's for coaches, too. It's a special yeah. place. It really is. Yeah, it is. That's great. Well, I mean, Pierre, I mean, I'll let you start off because you we'd like to get the coaches to kind of tell us our journey. And we've kind of already established uh, the foundation for that. So, Pierre, I'll let you take it for a little there. And I've got a couple of questions after for Coach Barr. Well, the biggest one for me is you learned so much about fundamentals of hockey and education. You went from Shattuck to RPI. What helped you get from Shattuck to RPI, Ben, in terms of knowledge of the game and being able to play at the Division One level? Um, you know, I think just being a Shattuck helped me get that. I was not a very good, I was a decent player. Um, but had I not been there and 
you know, I guess been more kind of a sponge with all the knowledge that was around us. And, um, you know, like I just, as a young kid, I was there for four years, which that doesn't happen all the time anymore with junior hockey and players going to junior hockey younger. Uh, I was there for four years and I just got to have all these coaches that either played or coached in the NHL. And then, like you said, you know, my junior year, Andy Murray coaches us and we won the first national championship. This was 1999 ever in that in that program's history and then the next year he's coaching the LA Kings and we're just sitting there going as kids we're like what's happening here kind of thing and then you know and then it just kind of took off from there so I think for me it was just being there and being a, I guess being coachable at a young age you know allowed me to become a serviceable division one player um, at RPI and um, you know but I, I really every time people ask me like you know, how do you, you know, how do, how do I, you know, be fortunate enough to be where I am today? And I, like, I, 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 I credit any opportunities I've had uh, because of my time at Shattuck uh, in the hockey world. You know, you had a chance to also coach at UMass Amherst for one of my former players, Greg Carville, who's a national champion and a former NHL coach himself. What did you learn from coach Carville? I learned a lot, you know, um, he was totally different than most of the coaches I'd had growing up as he let, you know, he was not a, um, he, he obviously he knows the game and he's extremely, he's a, he's a fantastic coach, but he also lets people be themselves. And I think people really, um, you know, the players. And then if you're an assistant really appreciate that, um, you know, so he, you know, Jared DeMichael and myself were there as assistants with him. And, you know, I think we just kind of had a a pretty unique thing going there, obviously. And, you know, that's such a big, like the, the staff and how they come together and all that kind of stuff is such a huge part of, because that trickles to the players, you know. And um, so him letting us be who we are and, and learning from each other and all that kind of stuff, that, that was just a lot different than when I was, not, and that's not right or wrong, just you know, what I was used to. So it was actually very awkward the first year or two. But then after that, you know, we all trust each other to do the things we need to do. And, you know, and, and it kind of just, it, it just kind of started stacking on itself and, and became a pretty special thing. You said something about awkward. So I want to throw something at you. My first time I was a head coach coaching against Scotty Bowman in the NHL. I found it awkward. I'm not going to lie to you. I found it really yeah. awkward. Um, we ended up winning the game, and he actually got hit on the bench during the game. And Jeez. back then, Detroit was one of the few teams that chartered, so he chartered back to Detroit. And I called him the next day, and he hung the phone up on me. He was pissed off because, whoa. <laughs> so the next two times we played him, they didn't just beat us. They beat us up. So <laughs> – um, what was it like the first time you had a coach against Greg Carville? Um, the funny thing is we won. So we were not the first, this is 30, two years ago. We were, we were not, no, I think we only won seven games that year. And this was at the end of the year and they had a really good team. They had just won the national championship. And, um, you know, I think, and it's probably similar to your experience. Like our, our guys played really hard and we got fortunate in the game, um, you know, and it was kind of emotional for me just because I my my time there was so it was it was such a I I, I had the best time of my life my five years at UMass, um, and he was he's just like Benny, you deserve that, you know. So he's a classy guy, as you know, and um, so it was the next night they got their revenge and they got their revenge a little bit last year too. So, you know, they're going to win their fair share of games. And they get, you know, always the way it goes, coach. They always get their fair share. Jim, you got to be happy. The coaches said five great years at UMass. I know. And you know, I want, I want to just, uh, we've got a little clip for you, coach, a little, a little trip down memory lane. So let's play okay. this right now. The UMass clip guys, if we got eight it. seconds to go, Cramilla, redirection, bouncing behind the net. All right, coach. So you hear that? What's going through your mind right then? I mean, that was uh, obviously that was a, a unbelievable experience. That year for everybody, not just like just that was the COVID year. 
And yeah. uh, it was just such like a surreal, everything about it was just, you know, and that was kind of the culmination. So you go from, you know, you're stuck in your house for eight months or however long that was. And then mm-hmm. every day you're like, you know, you're testing and you're hoping Like we, you know, we had one of our goalies that was out. We had two, our, our leading scorer and one of our goalies were out the semifinal game of the frozen four. And then they came back and we won. It was just a, it was that. just bizarre, but just because we had such a strong group of guys and we had, you know, the fact that we were five years in and we had such a strong, like that really, it, and that a lot of it had nothing to do with hockey that year. Obviously it was just trying to keep it together and keeping your guys from going out to the restaurants and getting COVID. And, you know, mm-hmm. so like as crazy as that sounds, that was what we had to do or else your, your, your season could get derailed. And, uh, you know, it was really special to see the guys get rewarded with that for that. And, um, you know, and obviously, you know, for us as a staff, that was, that year just kind of ran itself. We just had a, such a special group of, of you know, of leaders and, and players on that team. Well, and of course, two years before that, you, you lose to Minnesota Duluth uh, in the championship game, and then you go on to beat them two years later in the semis. But, you know, Cal McCarr leaves. And I'm wondering at that point, what was the feel like amongst the program? Because, you know, from the outside, I'm guess a lot of fans like myself and alumni are like, oh man, did we just miss our shot? Because, now he's leaving, and you know it was great. We're still going to treasure the memory that they made it that far, and that Cal McCarr played for UMass. But at the same time, it was like, was that the window? What were you guys thinking going into that next season? Honestly, we didn't. We knew that obviously when you lose Kill, we had Mario Ferraro on that team and Mitch Chafee, mm-hmm. and we had some phenomenal mm-hmm. like other players outside of Killer. They were you know that are NHL players now. Um, but we had such a strong culture and a strong group that we we knew that we weren't going to take a step back. I, I I really believe that. And, you know, obviously the next year was the year that got shortened and there was, you know, and we were really starting to play well. I think we had a really good chance to win it that following year. And then obviously, you know, the, the two years after that, we did win it. So I, we weren't – now you never know if you're going to – you know, you hope to win a national championship. We knew we had the team that could do it. It's, those are one game scenarios, so it's it's a lot different in college than it is in the NHL. You have best of seven series, and and usually the best team is gonna is gonna come out on top. So you never know. So you never you can't have one bad game. And um, but we were pretty confident that we had a we had a core that was good enough to to keep that going. And um, and it was really because we had the character in the room. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Jimmy, I just came back from Orono, Maine. I'm in Boston right now. Hockey is alive and well in Arno. Coach, you got to be so proud and excited about where your building is right now, where your team is right now, where your players are right now. It's phenomenal to be part of it. Hats off to you and your staff and to the entire community. It's awesome. What did you find out about Maine hockey after you got there that maybe you didn't know before? Um, Really good question. I, I think the one thing, you know, I've been through these experiences where, you know, I've just been super fortunate to, you know, I started at Union, Providence, UMass and Western Michigan, where like, you know, I don't want, you know, you're kind of going through a building phase and it takes a little while in college, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. I guess it can a little bit more so now with the the new rules, but in our reality, it, it so I, I knew what that part of it was like having gone through, you know, going into a program that's struggling and, and building it hopefully over the course of two or three years. I didn't realize how strong, like how much people care about it. Like, you know, I've, I've been here where, you know, it's always a really good environment, even when the team has just been okay or struggling. Um, That was the one thing I probably wasn't prepared for is just like, as a first time head coach handling all the media stuff, like, cause it, that, that comes with it. Like no matter where you are, but every market's a little bit different, but up here, because we don't have any other division one sports or division one colleges, we don't have any pro sports, really. We have an East coast team in Portland, but like, you know, we have a minor pro baseball team, but like, this is, you know, the the state and the community love this program so much based on what happened back in the nineties and early two thousands with Sean Walsh and those teams that won it. I, I think that was that was a real learning experience for me, managing that emotionally as you go through knowing like, hey, it's going to be a tough year to to start. And, and I was mentally prepared for that, having gone through it. The other side, I wasn't mentally prepared for, you know, three or four thousand people watching that every night. Um, you saw Pierre a lot. You know, it's now 
you know, it's really obviously it's caught fire again because, you know, the team's got a little better and, and the people are really excited about it. But even when our team wasn't like, it was still a pretty good environment because, you know, it's the people, the community cares about this team so much, which is a credit to what happened a long time ago, obviously. And the people and the players that came before here, before us, um, that was, that was hard for me to make, like, you know, there, there were times where that was tough, just not having been a head coach before and going through that. Right. You know what, Jimmy's amazing? They have a laundry list of elite former players there. And one of them's a really good friend of mine, Jack Capuano. He, no matter where he is, he's an assistant coach with Ottawa right now. He watches all the main games. Oh, yeah. He watches, he watches every game. And he's give, he has for updates from the weekend. It's so <laughs> pretty amazing. Like, these are guys long gone. They graduated in the 1980s. And yeah, so, of course, yeah. really, all those alumni guys are so proud of you. And, Jimmy, this just speaks to the attention to detail of Coach Byer. The first name he mentioned was Sean Walsh. I truly believe, because I recruited against the guy, I truly believe if there's no Sean Walsh at Maine, there's probably no Maine hockey legacy like we're experiencing now. For sure. For sure. Yeah. How much did you know about him, Coach, before you went in there? I mean, you know about the successes. And, and obviously, like, I grew up in – I told I told the school and the administrators this when I, when I got the job here um, – I grew up in Minnesota, which has, you know, maybe oh, yeah. in the United States, the richest hockey, you know, tradition anywhere. Well, and I was a nineties kid. I wanted to go to the university of Maine, you know, like that. And that's, and that's watch, you know, when, with the Gophers and I grew up in, you know, I, my family was in Duluth before they moved to Faribault. I grew up a Bulldog fan in St. Cloud. You have, I mean, all these, all these uh, schools. I want to go to the university of Maine because that was the heyday of, you know, and I could watch that on, I think it was Midwest Sports Network or whatever. You get to watch the NCAA tournament every year as a young kid. So, like, of course, that that is that is why, you know, we are so fortunate to have, you know, what you saw last weekend, Pierre. Like, that, you know, this it's not because of, you know, what we're doing today. It's because of what happened, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And um, it's, it's a special place. And that's why this program is going to be dangerous, I'm just telling you, in yeah. a good way. Their fans have so much to be excited about because they do respect the legacy and tradition that was created before them. I have a lot of respect for that. Speaking of, too, uh, last weekend when Pierre was there, I want to play some clips here right here. You guys saw uh, quite a barn burner, eh? So let's go to these clips right now. Off his stick by Chabrier. Poisson didn't clear. Chorsky stopped. Rebound. Score! Anderson at the right point. Turned it over. Breakaway shorthanded. It's Friel. He scores! Thomas Friel has scored twice in 21 seconds. And we're tied. Brazil tapping at the puck. Scholey. Good stick handles here. Scholey scores! Sully Scholey with a highlight reel play. We're tied again. All right. So first I'm going to go to Coach Barr here, and then I'll go to former Coach McGuire here. What do you when you're a coach in a game like that? What's it like for you on the bench? Because I know the fans love it, the players can love it, but for coaches, a, a seesaw game like that can be a little nerve wracking, eh? Yeah, it was a really, it was really unique weekend for us. And I, I talked to Pierre about this um, the other day after he had. I didn't know he was up here. I wish I would have seen him and we'd uh, we'd had a chance to talk. But um, you know, for us, like. The first game, you know, it was it was actually a very even game. And I, I thought we might have played better the second night than we did the first night. Um, you know, but the first night, you know, again, the puck goes in for you. And then the second night, you know, three quick ones go in for them. Um, and it, it didn't feel at the end of that weekend on Saturday, it felt like, oh, man, that was tough. And I don't think we played that well. And, you know, as a coach, you're on the bench, sometimes the feeling. And then you watch it back and it's a totally different feeling. And um right. You know, and that's that's a credit to Colt. I mean, they made, they played extremely hard. They we didn't have much free ice at all. Well coached. Um, you can tell that their character and the you know like and it's tough. They got a new coach, a new staff, and that's not easy. And I've been through that many times. It's not easy on the players, but they got something going there. And I'm not just saying that because it was a you know a tie game or whatever. Like that was. Um, you know, like we found a way to come back and tie that game and it took like every ounce of, of energy and, um, you know, 
some guys making some phenomenal individual plays and it was still barely enough. And that's, um, so hopefully I, I, we can use that going forward as we head back into, into hockey East, which is incredibly difficult this year. Every game is going to be like that for us. And um, so I think we'll take a lot from that weekend. And by the way, for our listeners and viewers out there, it was a four, four game between Colgate and you made on Saturday night. Pierre, I'm just one going back to your coaching days too. I mean, how are you handling a bench when it's just goal, 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 back and forth, back and forth? How do you navigate through that as a coach? Keep it calm. You know, the players will take care of the rest. You just got to keep it calm and kind of police everything, the emotions and the bench. But the more frantic you get, the more frantic they get. The more out of control they get, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. Hockey's a game of mistakes, so you try to limit them. And one of the ways of doing that is just calming everything down. On that, there's sometimes when you got to get emotional. Coach Bark could speak to that, Jimmy. I mean, guys need a kick in the derriere every now and then, but yeah, sometimes or not, you're just trying to calm it down. You really don't have to say much. Um, uh -huh. That's where you hope your players kind of police the bench, but sometimes you have to. Uh, the one thing that really impressed me about Maine this weekend um, was how determined they were to take away space. That was probably one of the hardest weekends for Colgate this entire year just because of the way Maine presented a game plan to take away their speed. Colgate's a really fast team, as Coach knows, and, and I thought Maine did a really nice job trying to take away their speed. Yeah, we have a team that can uh, – our team works hard, um, you know, and I think we have to – you know, a big part of that is when, you know, that when a guy changes direction on you, as you know, Pierre, like are you just going to swing back in the neutral zone or are you going to stop and go with them? And, you know, I thought they did a good job of that and I thought we did a good job. You know, it wasn't – there wasn't a lot of ice out there. And oh. um, those – it almost had a – I mean, every college hockey game has sort of a playoff feel because there's not that many, we don't play as many games obviously as, as the professional teams do. So, but it really, especially that Saturday night really felt that was, yeah. I've had so many people coach NHL people call me or text me saying that was one of the best games they've seen all year. Like, it was really special. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and then the saves, like both goalies made unbelievable yeah, saves in overtime. And, you know, so it was, uh, so it was a wild game. You, I got to ask you, cause Jimmy's here. You've got two of the high-flying freshmen in the country right now in the Dados, Josh and Bradley Dados. They came from, obviously, the Maritimes, but they played junior in Penticton. How good are they? Um, they're obviously fantastic players. They're, 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 they're excellent hockey players. That, and then together, they're even better. And that's, like, really unique for me. I've never, I've coached brothers before and, um, but they have some sort of bond where, you know, they score goals and you're just like, okay, you know, like that's, <laughs> you know, I, I, you just can't, you just kind of laugh, you know, and um, where they're, they're trying things that like, you'd probably be angry at most of your players for trying, but you got, you let it, you know, it actually works for them like half the time or even more than that. So you're like, so it's it's really it's a unique experience as a coach having guys like that, um, but they're they're extremely humble. Their whole family, they're just humble people, um, you know. And they're and they're helping us with it. Like, you know, when you go and we had this with we actually had this with Kale McCarr at, at UMass Pierre. You saw that in Jimmy. You like he wasn't committed. He was he was committed to the previous staff when we got there, and he wanted to do something special, and you know, these, these boys are kind of similar to that where they, you know, they, they actually, their family, they're, they're from a couple hours away from here. They want to help this program turn around because they remember what it, what it was like. And, you know, they wanted to play college hockey because of what the university of Maine teams were, you know, back when they had it run. And, and, and like, and, and that's, they actually understand that and they, they, they want to be a part of that, which makes this thing, you know, pretty special. It means more than just the hockey part of it to them and their family, which, you know, for, you know, we're fortunate to be here at this time to, to be part of that. And, you know, we just have to kind of be stewards of it rather than, you know, hope and hopefully not screw it up. You know, Pierre, that, that reminds me yesterday. Remember when we were talking about pro teams and how important it is for teams to make sure that the current players appreciate the past and, and the tradition of their organizations. Was that one of your focuses too, when you, when you took over the job? It really wasn't Jimmy, but like, it has to, like, I, you know, I knew 
stuff outside. I'm really good friends with Jim Montgomery, you know, so he was a big part of me getting this job. Um, I started as a volunteer. He was a, he was a, he was an assistant at RPI where I went the year I started volunteering. So I had a connection with him obviously, and he was on the committee here. So, you know, I, I, I know how deep the roots run of the, for this program and stuff, but um, I didn't, you, you don't know what you're until you're there living it. Right. You just really don't know. It. I mean, I'm sure it's been the same for you, Pierre, as a coach, you, like yeah. you, you know, that, you, you know, you know, the major history markers of every program and some, you know, some goes back, some go back way longer than others, but, like the longer you hear and the more you learn about it, it's just like, I mean, what had to happen for that to happen in the nineties and early two thousands, like it's really amazing. Cause this isn't a, this isn't a school where all of a sudden there's just money falling off the trees and you know, like you got, I mean, this is a small, smaller community. So what happened up there was so special. Um, and now we have to find a way to sustain that in the same environment again. And, uh, and I think we're on our way to doing that. We just we just actually you caught me on a good day. They just uh, the school just announced another eighty million dollar gift that the Elfon family made to a wow. made athletics. This That's is on top. Awesome. Of, this is on top of the ninety million they already given us. So it's a really special time to be here. And um, you know we're going to get a huge renovation to our rink starting at the end of this season. And they've already done some upgrades. Pierre saw the the, the scoreboards and stuff in the in the rink. So he was raving about it yesterday. We're getting there. We're getting there. Got a long way. A shout out to the Alphon family. Um, when I was a young coach at Babson College, we ran a thing called Europa Cup, and a lot of the Alphon young ladies used to go to the women's camp. And they are such good social citizens all over New England, but in particular in the state of Maine. And what they've done at the University of Maine in particular is phenomenal. It's just absolutely phenomenal. It's This program doesn't exist without them. And, um, it, you know, obviously it was – Harold and his family, and now, you know, the foundation is running it, and it's, um, you know, Greg Powell's up here with, uh, with Travis Cummings today. Those are, those are you know, the two vital figures there, and it's, yeah, I mean, th- this program, we, we wouldn't be having this conversation without them. You know, they built this rink back in the day and really started this program, um, you know, so it's, uh, we're, we're extremely fortunate to have them uh, in our corner. Well said, Coach. Coach, and last question I have for you, too, is, okay, you just mentioned earlier how you're approaching now the conference schedule, and it's going to really ramp up. What's the what's the vibe like when that happens? And, you know, maybe it was when you were at UMass or maybe you were at Western Michigan, but when that happens for a college team and they're getting into that part of the season, what's the vibe like? Um, I mean, we try to stay just, you know – we. Every game in college is so difficult, you know, like, so whether we're playing Colgate last weekend, the weekend before we played RIT in Dartmouth, now we're going to play UConn. It's, you try to keep it, you know, somewhat keep it an even, even keel. Cause it's okay. like, um, and, and you know, maybe everyone's, everyone's different enough here. You, there's so much emotion when you come, when you play the game, that it's almost like anything that we add on top of that, when our guys go out on the ice is just, it actually ends up being almost counterproductive. So um, we're never at a lack of, for a lack of, uh, I mean, our students weren't even here last weekend and the place was sold out both nights. So it's like, (laughs) you know, like you just, that doesn't happen in many places, you know? And it's like, so we don't, we always have like, so for us, it's just trying, and we have a young team still. It's a lot of these guys have never been through what we're going through. So it's for us, it's just, let's go and have a really good practice. Let's go. And we're playing on the road at UConn. Who's got a phenomenal team. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like, and I think every team's different, like some teams, you know, if they're older, they, you can talk more about that stuff, I guess. But for us, it's this, this is all new uncharted territory for all the players on our team. You know, gotcha. Jimmy, the good news for Maine, it's really hard to get a parking spot at the rink. The bad news is it's a long walk when it's cold. If you're a fan, <laughs> <laughs> it was the other night, pretty chilly. Oh man, it was damp yeah. and cold, but it was great. Yeah. The atmosphere inside the arena warmed everything up. Uh, I got to get up there. It's on the, it's on the bucket list. Enough. Ben can't thank you yeah. enough for doing this. I'm so happy for you and your family, but in particular for Maine hockey fans, it, what you've done there. Um, it takes me back to when I was coaching at St. Lawrence and we used to play at the Dexter Shoe Classic in that rink and uh, when Sean Walsh was running it with Jay Leach. And uh, I'm just so happy for you. I know how far you've had to travel to get there. And 
it's a tremendous story. You deserve a lot of credit. Way to go. Thanks, Pierre. That means yeah. a ton. And, you know, I appreciate you guys having me on. And, uh, yeah, if you guys ever make it back up here, just please let me know. And uh, I'll be there. I'll be there. Don't worry. I'll, I'll be take there. care of you. I'm getting um, up there for sure. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for 2021 at UMass, Coach. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Have a good one. That's you Coach Ben Barr, the University of Maine, joining us here on the eye test on a special edition of On Campus on a Tuesday here on the Sick Podcast Network. Pierre, good guy. I like he's him a lot. He's got it. Trust me, he's got it going on. on straight. Those fans are fortunate to have him there because I know a couple schools had talked to him before he actually got the job at Maine. And for whatever reason, he didn't get those jobs. And those schools now are looking at themselves going, I can't believe we didn't hire yeah. this guy. Um, I knew I talked to Greg Carvel a lot, as you know, and and he told me a long time ago this guy's going to do a real good job wherever he lands. And yeah. I, I can tell you firsthand, you know, I was there last weekend uh, for three days, and the environment for hockey in Orono is off the charts. Now, Pierre, I want to ask you because this analogy keeps coming up in my head. Um, have you ever been to Green Bay for a Packers game? Yeah, uh, not for a game, but I've been to Green Bay. Yeah. Yeah. So you understand what it's like there because, I mean, there's nothing else other than the Packers there. Yeah. Is that – now, I'm not trying to compare a pro and a college situation. No, no. Just in terms of how he was talking about how much it means to the the community there and the culture. And it, it, is it a, a similar thing there where, like, you know, this is our own. This is our team. It's yeah. not, you know, like you're in a big city. This is our team. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot to that. Um, I coached in an environment like that. I remember when Clarkson in Potsdam was huge and we were in Canton 10 miles away at uh -huh. St. Lawrence. And those, I'm telling you right now, back in the day, St. Lawrence and Clarkson were two of the better teams in the country back in the late eighties. And the rivalry was unbelievably intense. Like it was cuckoo crazy. And it's yeah. because people in Canton loved St. Lawrence and people in Potsdam love Clarkson. And it's the same thing in Orono. And, and that's where they are right now. And Ben's got it back. He brought them back from where they yeah. were. Um, and I, I could see it from last year when they played at Colgate to this year when Colgate played there. Um, that main team is a top five team in the country, and they're going to make some waves this year. They will. They're, they're a really good team. They've been climbing up to pairwise fast. Well, they were number one pairwise going into last weekend and after the weekend, and they ended up being three. going to say three, it's yeah. Still, so. still, it's pretty good. Pairwise, yeah. you happy. All right, Pierre. Well, let's let, let's transition to some NHL talk in a, in a player that uh, Coach Barr will have to coach against and has coached against. Yes. Uh, last night, shockwaves through the NHL as the Flyers trade a top prospect, Cutter Gauthier, who we've spoken about and you've raved about and 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 really hyped up here. And he's lived up to every bit of that hype so far, whether it's for the Eagles or Team USA at the World Juniors. Gets dealt to the Anaheim Ducks for defenseman Jamie Drysdale in a second round pick. And Pierre, first off, the trick, the hot, just the hockey side of it that was shocking. But I think what we've discussed off air and has kind of stunned us a bit is the the aftermath, the the fallout from it has just been, you know, kind of out of control with what's going on. And you know, I'm going to come right out and say it, Pierre, that. The, you know, for those who haven't been paying attention, the, the Flyers, have, whether it's been, you know, John Tortorella, the coach, uh, Daniel Briere, the GM, uh, Keith Jones, is he uh, vice president of hockey operations? Yeah, president of hockey operations or the owner, Daniel Lafferty. I mean, it's, it's just, it's been this unified, uh, I don't want to say trashing, but I mean, like a unified making it clear to the public that this is all on Gauthier and he didn't want to be here and how dare he not want to play for us. And, you know, I haven't heard anything from the Gauthier side yet. There's tons of rumors flying around and it, it's just, they've sort of incited this, this hatred against the kid. And I gotta be honest, like I'm a little stunned. I, I, I love and respect all those guys that I just mentioned. Uh, we we've talked ad nauseum about John Tortorella. I think he's doing a great job. Um, I like him as a coach and I've I told you I like him as a person. Um, I'm just I'm a little stunned at, at the way they've handled this, Pierre. I just I gotta say that to be honest. 
So I try to do a lot of thinking about this so, since I found out it last night, like everybody else. Yeah. And I was as stunned as everybody else, especially with Gauthier coming off the World Junior that he did and Jamie Drysdale being as injured as he was last year and then to start the season injured again. So mm -hmm. when I saw that, I was like, okay, something's not right here. And I made a lot of calls. I've tried to do a lot of research, but I also have tried to do a lot of thinking. Um, and one of the things that's interesting, if you think about it, you've had in recent history, Jimmy Vesey, who was a draft pick of the Nashville Predators, went to Harvard University. He didn't sign there. Mm -hmm. Nashville didn't beat him up. He eventually signed with the New York Rangers. Justin Schultz was at the University of Wisconsin, played in a playoff series uh, against Colorado College, lost. Anaheim, the team that had drafted him, was actually in Denver to play, and they thought he was going to turn pro and sign with them, and he decides not to show up at the rink, and he signs with Edmonton. And you, he didn't get trashed, right, Jimmy? He didn't get trashed. And then I, I remember Matt Cater, who I think has done a magnificent job with his clients, but in particular, Adam Fox. People forget Adam Fox was drafted by Calgary. Cater let him talk to Calgary. Didn't work out. They traded him to Carolina. Didn't work out. They still communicated and then traded him to New York Rangers, where he's happy now. And he's obviously won a Norris Trophy and had success. I don't know. And you don't know, and nobody else knows what actually took place between Cutter Goche and the Philadelphia Flyers. I'm going to take the Flyers at their word and say that the player refused to speak to them. But his agent is Kurt Overhart, and he's not a neophyte. He's got a lot of experience in this business, yeah. a lot, yeah. mm -hmm. and with a lot of big-name clients. So something, I think we're, this is a story, Jimmy, that I think we're going to find out a lot more as we go along. Yep. All right. Well, just for, for those who haven't heard, let, let's play the series of clips here. Uh, we've got Briere, uh, Tortorella, Jones, and then the owner. Let, let's play them right now just so our listeners and viewers can understand what we're talking about here. Go back to him not wanting to come to camp in the summer. It does. Um, you know, and the reason why we didn't want to say anything was not to, to hide anything from from our great fans, it was to try to protect the kid. We we were hoping that at some point he would change his mind. I mean, he, he had already changed his mind. He um, looked at us at the draft and told us he was built to be a flyer, wanted to be a flyer, and then a few maybe a few months later told us that he didn't want to be a flyer, didn't want to play for the flyers. So in our mind at first, we, we said we have to protect him. We have to, because uh, if he changes his mind again, um, you know, and it's out there that he uh, doesn't want to play, it's going to be tough for him. Um, to put the uniform on, uniform on, um, you know. But uh, when we realized that they refused to talk to us, now it's been months, and he didn't want to be a flyer, didn't want to be in Philadelphia. Um, it, it was time to make it happen. It goes back. They told us uh, when he came back from the World Championship uh, last May, I believe. Why did he not want to be a flyer? Why did he not want to be in Philadelphia? Uh, I don't know. We never got an answer. Um, so I, I don't know much more than that. Just how surprising is it, Danny, given he was pretty gung-ho about being a flyer when you guys drafted him. Just Are you, are you blown away that he's not want to come here? We were when it happened. I mean, now at this point, it is what it is. Uh, we started looking at uh, how can we turn this um, and make the most of it. Um, you know, and, and, and I have to say, like, I, I was... I have to thank all the other teams that were involved, the teams that um, called us about him um, to, to keep it uh, kind of on the down low, keep it secret, um, just in case he changed his mind again. Um, but we realized, you know, when, especially when Jamie's name came up, uh, this this was a pretty special player, we felt, and um, the, the chance to add him, they don't come very often. So. Uh, Jamie's an exciting player. Um, there's going to be an adjustment period, we feel, because of the style of play in Anaheim to our style of play. Um, but in the long term, I think he's going to be a, a fantastic player for How long were this team. Yeah, he didn't want to be a flyer. So we had to, you know, come up with a plan. And fortunately, we were able to execute on that plan. His value would never be higher than it was after the World Junior Championships. Um, it was only going to decrease if the word got out there. Uh, I have to give a lot of credit to the people that we were negotiating with that they kept this quiet. 
uh, it could have become a much more difficult situation. So the other general managers, presidents around the league, were outstanding in keeping this a private matter. Pretty because, tough to do that these days. Yeah, and the leverage starts to change in that case. So uh, you don't want to be a flyer. You're not going to be a flyer. And uh, we were very pleased in the return that we got a player that we coveted and were searching for in Jamie Drysdale, a right-handed shooting defenseman that was a former sixth overall pick. Uh, he's got skill, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing him get into our lineup. It'll be an emotional time in Anaheim for him. He's an extremely popular player and a great person, so can't wait to meet him. I feel bad for Cutter when he comes to, well, I don't really feel bad for Cutter when he comes to Philadelphia. But, <laughs> it's going to be a rough ride here. It's going to be a rough ride here, and, and, he, and he earned it. Because you know what? We're Philadelphians, yes. yeah. and that's how we want people who want to be here with us. I I can love, he said that Cutter didn't want to play here in Philadelphia and didn't want to play for the Flyers. What's your reaction to that? Then we don't want you. I believe you've met Cutter and Gauthier before. Were you surprised that he... I don't know Cutter from a hole in a wall, you know. It's so, and I'm not too interested in talking about him. I'd rather talk about Jamie. He's the guy that's coming here. Wow. <laughs> well, you know what? Though I understand where they are because they're trying to build a culture there, and I totally understand where mm -hmm. Keith Jones is coming from. Uh, I totally understand. Dan I thought Danny Greer handled himself really well there. That's tough. He doesn't have a lot of experience dealing with that. I thought he did a good job. Um, you know, the Flyers are trying to cultivate an image. This is an organization that during um, games in, um, from about 2004 to about 2008, on the billboard would put a thing up called Vengeance Now. I mean, they're, they're, I they, try to create, they try to create an atmosphere, which is great. That's their identity. And, yep. so that's, and so they're basically saying, if you don't want to be part of us, we don't want nothing to do with you. We want nothing to do with you. So I, from their point of view, I get it. Um, what the the was that the president? Not no. Whoever spoke about Daniel Hilferty, who is the yeah. uh, the owner and the chairman and CEO. Yeah, that that I don't think was handled properly. No, I didn't like that. That's the one that got me the most, Pierre. That the other stuff, I'm with you. I understand the other. Actually, and I heard them laughing that that wasn't funny because when a kid does get to the rink, you never know what can happen. Yeah. I mean, I it was crazy else, you know, you know, Keith was very honest. He wasn't disingenuous. He said, I can't wait to meet him. He's never met him. Yeah. So he's going by reports and, and good for him. He's telling the truth. I thought Daniel was great. Um, and I understand John. John's got to deal with the players that he has, not yeah. the players that he doesn't have. So he's got to deal with Jamie Drysdale. So I get that, too. So I thought all that stuff was handled really well. Um, but I think there's more to this story. I really do having kind of gone through a lot of it. And I just mentioned three cases, Jimmy Vesey, Justin Schultz, and Adam Fox. Those are right. three cases of a col college players that have basically gone through the same thing um, as what Cutter Goche is going through. So, Pierre, and I'm not sure if you're aware of the whole Kevin Hayes situation and what happened there, too. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense. That's, that's right. internet fodder, and that, that's gross. Okay, but – and you understand now because that – I don't know who the reporter was that started that rumor. And, of course, Hayes denied it right away. And, the, and the, he called. He specifically called the Flyers. I think he called Briere or Jones. I'm not sure. He says, listen, I didn't, I didn't tell this kid not to play for you guys. I have nothing to do with that. Yeah, no. But apparently now his family is getting death threats. No. People are saying now we're happy your brother died. Uh, you know, and, and so I'm just use, using this right now as an example of why I think what the owner said was irresponsible because – there's people out there that aren't necessarily dealing with a full deck and, and take things a little too far. We've seen this all over sports, not just in Philly, not just in hockey, in any sport. You know, things can get a little too far, and you don't need to throw gasoline on a fire like that owner did. And that's the only issue I had there. It just – it was, to me, irresponsible and inconsiderate. I get the whole pride about Philly. Like you said, you're dead on. But that's not a good – scenario to create for when he does come back here hopefully by the time he does you know the truth is out and the dust has settled and we don't have to worry about that but you know i just hope this kid doesn't need a extra security detail when he comes back to philly 
Yeah, no, he'll definitely need that, but that's okay. I've had players that have needed that, <laughs> I've had players that have needed that in a lot of other cities besides Philly. Yeah, yeah. Did, okay. did one of them wear number five for the Penguins and come into Boston? We had security at both ends of the hallway and at the elevator uh, for a couple playoff games. So, yes, that, it happened. Um, no, I agree with everything you just said, Jimmy. I, I The one thing I would add, too, is – as much as there's so much attention on, on what the Flyers got, Drysdale's a really good player. I've known him since he was a little kid as a player, not as a person, as a player. Um, he was tremendous. He's always been tremendous. I worry a little about his size, and I worry a little bit about his injuries. That being said, if he's 100% and that's all we can go on, that's a really he's a really good player. He kind of fits into what the Flyers need right now. On the other side, think about Anaheim. And I know you're tight with Coach Cronin. But yep. think about this. Now you've got Trevor Zegers. Now you got Mason McTavish. Now you got Leo Carlson. And now you got Cutter Goche. Now I, I'm not talking about all the other players. You got those four players. Up the middle. Get those four players. <laughs> wow. They're stacked. That changes and the rules of the game. It, and you know what? It changes the rules pretty quickly for Anaheim. Now, obviously, Gauthier doesn't get there till the end of the year, but it changes the rules pretty quick. And let's not forget all the other prospects they got coming, Pierre. Well, they got so they've got prospects in defense. They got they got prospects in. That's forward. why they can make the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why they could afford to make the deal. I'm. Yep. I don't think they were in a rush to move Drysdale, but it's not every day. So, look, I'm not going to say this is like Joe Thornton. That's not fair. No. It, to find big body players that can score and make plays that you didn't draft. Yeah. That's hard to do. Yep. We were it's speaking about it yesterday, weren't we? Yeah. We were talking about centers and you know, they don't grow on trees, guys don't like give that. Away number one centers. They just don't, they're hard to find. Yeah. But, and so, and that's what I like. Let's, let's state of the hockey of this pier too. What I like about this, forget about all the sideshow. It was a hockey trade. I, I love yeah hockey trades and i want to see more it's hard to do with the cap i get it but do you think with the cap going up we could see more quote-unquote hockey trades like this we could but the problem is okay i'll give you an example nylander signs a big ticket in toronto so if you're jake gensel in pittsburgh mm -hmm. contracts up at the end of this year how much money do you want exactly because your numbers are about the same as nylanders Mm -hmm. Or do you get eleven million dollars in Pittsburgh for a team no. that's going to be kept? No. So, so this is where it's going to change. Everybody's going, oh yeah, everybody's going to get more money. No, the problem's going to be you're not going to be able to. Yeah. And so this is where cap management matters a lot. It's it's not as easy as everybody thinks. It's not like playing fantasy baseball or hockey or football. This is real stuff. Yep. So it's you know everybody says well one contract shouldn't affect the other. I've been in those meetings. I've been in those negotiations. You know what the first thing an agent says to you? Here are the five players that my players like. I was just going to say that. Yep. <laughs> and then when you say, well, wait a second. And then you say to the agent, and I don't blame the agents. They have a job to do too. They have to fight for their constituents. Yep. And then you say to the agent, well, no, actually, this player, this player, and this player have more points than your player and the players you presented, and they're better than your guy. And they're like, well, no. And this is the line most of them use. My player is a unicorn. It's unique. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. No. Yeah. This is what I'm So there's an art to every deal. One of the great deals that got done, and I really respect Tampa. Steve Eisenman was part of it. Julian Breezeball was part of it. Donnie Meehan and Newport Sports were part of it. When they got the Stamkos deal done, mm -hmm. nobody in hockey knew. You know, they're talking about how they kept this trade quiet between Anaheim and, and yep. Philadelphia and, and how they thanked the other teams that were interested. That was a classy move by the Flyers. I, I really appreciate that. I yeah, respect it a sure. lot. Um, when that deal was done in Tampa between Stamkos and, and Tampa Bay Lightning, nobody knew until the day they had a press conference. Yeah. There are a lot of zeros involved on that contract. Yes. There are a lot of a lot of people reading it and checking it and doing the due diligence. And so it can be done. You can do it. But it's all I'm gonna say is is that this is 
the deal was, I think, a solid hockey deal. I just wish we didn't have the vitriol around it because I don't think that's the way to do it. I agree. I agree. Um, and by the way, too, uh, I remember at that time when when that deal was announced, pretty much the whole media had Stamkos already a Maple Leaf before. Yeah, one hundred percent. Oh, it was like ridiculous. Anyhow, all right, let's. Uh, we'll, we've got a few minutes left here, about seven minutes left. Let's open it up to some questions here. I, I see everybody over there, and I I don't know where it was. Maybe our guys in the production office can uh, find it, but somebody was tuning in from Sweden, Pierre, uh, which is pretty cool. We like Sweden. Yep, yep. I like that. Oh, That's Sweden. Good you hockey country. So, um, anyhow, let's uh, let's get a question up here, guys. This honest question, I've been never leaving Canada ever. Is it the city of Philly or what What player, What don't players like about it? I, well, there's a tax in the city. I know that. So most of them live in New Jersey. They play mm -hmm. their games in Philadelphia, but they live in New Jersey, near Voorhees, New Jersey. Um, I don't think players mind playing for the Philadelphia Flyers. I, I think a lot of guys like playing for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, yeah. Look at Danny Briere. He's a Francophone. He, he loves being there. I think mm -hmm. he's really proud to be a Philadelphia Flyer. Uh, Keith Jones wasn't drafted by Philadelphia. Uh, in fact, he started his career with Washington and went to Colorado and eventually finished with Philadelphia. So I, I know he lives in New Jersey, and he loves it there. So, no, I I think guys like being part of the Flyers. It's not that, not that, you know, how hard the fans and the media are? No, no I don't think – no, because they're way harder on the football, baseball, and basketball teams than they are on the hockey team. Yeah. The hockey teams – a different animal compared to the other ones. Um, I mean, look, this is a Philadelphia Eagle team that went to the Super Bowl last year. Okay. Yeah. The coaches, now they're saying if he doesn't win this playoff game, he's getting fired this year. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a different deal. Yeah. Uh, they're not, they're not nice to Santa Claus either. Remember that? <laughs> they, boot they boot Santa. Yeah. Exactly. They threw snowballs at him. <laughs> Ice balls. <laughs> uh, next question. Oh, there it is. Greetings from Sweden. We appreciate you listening, uh, Shaven Butcher. I hope you were able to enjoy the World uh, World Juniors. Uh, Randy Workman, uh, we love his questions. Was wondering if you guys were surprised they didn't get a first rounder. I said to Jimmy, I was really surprised the compensation wasn't greater, uh, whether it was a first rounder or a prospect. But I think that was just, I think Philly knew they were in a tough bind. I think Anaheim knew the player they wanted. And they just said, you know what, we'll just do the Let's deal. Let's get it done. Let's, Let's get it done. done. Yeah. But All I right. thought the compensation could have been greater for Philadelphia, but I also know this was – it sure sounds like it was a deal done in good faith from both sides. That's what it sounds like. All right. Next question. All right, from Alex Evanoski, what do you see wrong with the Lightning, all the talent, and they might miss the playoffs? They just look slow. Alex, we, Jimmy and I have been talking about this a lot. Yes. You know, Steven Stamkos is minus 19. That's not, but he's a point-of-game player. But mm -hmm. it shows you that fatigue is a very real part of this. The goaltending doesn't look nearly as good. Even Vasilevsky doesn't look nearly as good. And we know about the injury situation. But this is what I'd like to present to everybody. Think about all the players gone. Coleman's in Calgary. Gord is in Seattle. Uh, Pierre-Edward Belmar is no longer there. Uh, you know, you look Patrick Maroon's in Minnesota. You, you keep going. You look at all the players. Alex Kalorn is in Anaheim. Look at all the care. Ryan McDonough is in Nashville. Just every time I try to start another sentence, I come up with another player. The problem is they've lost so many guys. Ross Colton is in Colorado. You know, you just start to look at it and you realize this is all cap related, unfortunately. And this is what you get. But I, they're still a very, very strong organization. I, their life and death to make the playoffs. Jimmy, you agree? Yeah, for sure. And I, 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 and we said yesterday we could see some surprising things by them at the deadline. Yeah. For the first time in in recent memory, they could be going in as sellers. Which I just, I just think it's not because they're a bad team. I think it's just they've had issues with the cap and they've had to move guys out. That's all. It's just exactly. It happens. That's, that's Bar, I, forgot, I didn't even bring up Bar Barkley Goudreau. So there you go. I mean, there's another. Got him yesterday. That, yep. Yep. And you know, if not for nothing, Pierre, I, I, I think it flew under the radar a bit. Was the role, and I know he's a depth D man, a six or a seven, but he he was well liked in the locker room. Not Zach Bogosian. 
He's gone too. Bogosian's gone, and, and Jan Ruda's gone. It's you know, you throw another yeah. player out, I'll throw another player out. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what that, that's what I'm saying. That's the roster of people they faced in Tampa. It's yep. amazing. I, I feel badly for them, but that's the reality of the business for sure. All right, next question. Knowing the current Canadians' culture, would they have wanted Gauthier or want Zegers? What about Johnson from Columbus? Is he still available? Quickly, Pierre, before you answer this, I want to say, too, for those that don't know, and I don't know if you saw the report, Pierre, um, there's a report going around out of Philly that uh, Kent Hughes turned a deal down for Cutter Gauthier. Philly wanted the fifth pick to supposedly preserve Mishkov, make sure that they were going to get him no matter what. They wanted to move into five, so they have five and seven. Uh, and, and Kent Hughes said no. And, you know, they went with Reinbacker. So yeah. that's out there right now. I didn't know if you're aware of that. No, I wasn't aware of that. I wonder who put that out there. Yeah. Uh, it's a reporter out of Philly who I'm not quite familiar with. So I'm, I'm going to, that's a I'm dangerous game. A little hold off on that until yeah, we can dig deeper. All I'm going to say is that's a dangerous game too. Um, because if you're taking that long to get something out that happened in the summertime, I want to know why it didn't come out sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't put much stock into that stuff. People say stuff all the time that I know is not true, so it doesn't yeah. matter. Um, the one thing I'd say, though, about Cutter Goche, and I've been talking – since you and I started this collaboration, I've been telling you about this kid for a long time. Yes, you have. He's 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 a real deal. He's a good player. He's and he's kind of everything the Canadians would love to have. I know they've got Doc and Newhook yeah, coming back. It doesn't matter. You never have enough of those guys. No, you, you can't. You can't. And he would be – in my eyes, that number one center that they haven't had for so long. So he would have been great there, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So well, Suzuki, Suzuki's pretty good. Suzuki's pretty good. Yeah, player. he is. He is. He's All good. right, next question. What could Jake Ensel bring the uh, Penguins at the deadline? This, from this, this, this is Andre. What a good question. Yes. It's a really good question, which we just talked about it. Yep. This Nylander contract has major ramifications for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yes. And it's ironic because Kyle Dubas did, left, he got fired, and he's in Pittsburgh now. And now his old team may have thrown a dagger at him where he's going to be, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, on, you know, get, Unless Gensel's prepared to give a little bit of a hometown discount. But what could they get for him? It depends on what the value is established on players that don't have existing contracts past this year. Because every year that changes the fluctuation of the value of the player. Yeah, yeah, it's they're going to be a not. We talk about Tampa; they're going to be a very interesting team uh, to watch at the deadline pier. Well, they could go either way. Pittsburgh's got a big game coming up. They're playing against Pittsburgh West. They're playing against Mark Friedman, Teddy Bluger, Sam Rafferty, Ian Cole, <laughs> Casey DeSmith. Jimmy Rutherford, Patrick Alvine, Rick Tockett, Mike Yo, Sergey Gonchar. That's 10 people in Pittsburgh, Vancouver and Pittsburgh connected. They're playing them on Thursday. Yeah. And, hey, by the way, kudos to Vancouver and to Rick Tockett for going in. They're in the uh, what I like to call the New York Metro Triangle there. Yeah. And so far they're two for two, beating the Rangers and the Devils on back-to-back -back night. Or Actually, no, they're one day in between, but still. Wow. That was a statement win by not and here's the thing too, Pierre. I want to I want to say this out there because a lot of people are like, well, you know, we'll find out if Vancouver's real. Vancouver's for real. Like oh, get man. that through. Okay, they're for real. They're legit. No, no, we're, but we're for real. Elias Pedersen's for real. JT yeah. Miller's for real. Brock Besser's got 25 or 26 goals. He's for real. Not going away. They had they, they, well, he's got a chance to win the Norris Trophy. Yep. I mean, you know, they've got some stuff going on there right now, which is really good. But so I want to see the columns, and we like to stress only positive energy on this show. Mm -hmm. But one thing about being positive is admitting you're wrong. So for all the people that wrote all the dirt about Rick Talk and not being able to coach, I want to see the retractions. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, guys, back in the studio, do we have any crickets noise back there? No. <laughs> All right, next question. Oh, oh, that, that bothered me a lot. Like, I, Okay, I'm biased. I'm a friend of mine. I know. I them and I'm one with them, and that bothered me a lot. It but, really Pierre, you know, and you, Russ Conway always taught me this. You know, admit when you're wrong. And it goes a long way. 
people remember those because it's it's rare that people do it these days. So, you know, for those who said that, just it, come out. It's it, it's not the end of the world. You're wrong. Say it. Move yeah. on. Learn. Yeah. And that's that, you know. Um, all right. Next question. Yeah, I saw this one. I I don't really want to touch on this. I don't know enough about it. I don't know enough about it. Yeah, I don't. And I understand you being curious, Mark. Yeah. And, and obviously, it's in it's in the back of a lot of Bruins fans' minds yeah. right now. Um, but I've kind of tried to stay away from that because I just don't know the details right now. All I know, though, is what's going on with the Bruins. And we can talk about that maybe tomorrow, too, because there's some stuff. We don't have time today, Pierre, but I know you and I were talking about that game against Colorado last night. And man, that's you know, that's big time. That playoff. was awesome. It's that was time. awesome. And, and I think that the Bruins can learn a lot from that too. And, and we'll get into that tomorrow. I think there were a lot of good lessons to take. I agree. You know what? Who else can learn something? Colorado can learn something too. The, yeah, for sure. Because they got a real good team. They got some things to fix though. They I'm do. Wondering, I'm wondering about what they do in goal. I'm just telling you, I'm wondering what they do in goal. Yep. And it's funny because we hear about uh, all the goalie trade talk that we've heard to this point. I don't hear them anywhere. Nobody no. talks about that. No. And they could be an X factor in that goalie trade market. So they, let, we'll get into that tomorrow. So if, if you guys out there have some questions about that or you're curious about Colorado and Boston, we are going to focus on that tomorrow. All right. Let's take one last question here, guys. <laughs> if Tor real deal prime, if Torch wanted Cutter to do a drill, Cutter's response would be no. Yeah, I don't know how that would go. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, by the it's, way, in here, let's, one of the first guests we had on this show was Greg Brown. I, yep. He's a coach at Boston College. Mm -hmm. Coached in the NHL. He's been a head coach in the USHL. He's played professionally in the NHL. He's played professionally in Europe. He's played in the Olympic. He's got a wealth of experience. He's a tremendous friend to the show. He has never had a problem with Cutter Goche. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, also too, and I would think, you know, obviously Greg Brown, his family, his advisors, Cutter's advisors, He's not going to be playing for any, uh, you know, as you like to call shrinking violet and Greg Cronin. Uh, he's, no. he's, he's like the new wave John Tortorella. So, um, you know, I, I don't think he's going to try and get out of Anaheim. I, 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 like you said, let the dust settle. The truth will come out itself. There's a lot of I stuff. Do, I think there's a lot of moving parts in this thing. Yeah. The one thing I would say though, and I mean, this, this is for the younger people that do listen. If you have a chance to be a pro hockey player, I think it's really important to maintain communication really is. Mm. And I understand there's a lot of pressure from agents. I understand there's a lot of outside pressure from families and things, but I think it's really important to maintain decorum. If somebody calls you, you don't hang up on them. If somebody yeah. sends you a letter or a text, you respond to them. You don't have to respond what they want. You respond what you want. But I think it's really important to be that professional. If you want to be in professional hockey, I really mean that. And um, I was surprised by all of this. I it Just knowing some of the people on both sides of it, um, I was surprised by how it all came out. I really, yeah. But the one thing, and you touched on it, Jimmy, the stuff about, oh, I feel bad for him, but I don't really feel bad for him. I, that's inciting stuff. And I didn't like that. I just no, didn't like it. Is. It is. You have to be, and 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 hey, people, not just kids coming in. People at higher levels of hockey, be careful with your words. And I've learned that the hard way myself. Well, we all do. If you, you were know? microphone in your face, you you always make mistakes, and you have exactly. to learn from it. Exactly. So yeah. hey, let's hope everyone learns from that situation and move on, and they get to the hockey part of it. It works out for both teams. Uh, this was a great episode again. How about Ben Barr? Ben Barr's awesome, man. It was fantastic. You know, you, you know what thing I'm seeing a trend here, and you would know more than me, seems to be a, a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uplifting, uh, enthusiastic wave of coaches coming into college hockey right now yeah. that are in, you know, their early to mid to late 40s. And, you know, we've we've had them on here, and it, I, I love it. I, I think the game college hockey is in a real – we've raved about what's going on with that sport. But they're in a really good spot in terms of the coaches 
that are rising up in, in the game. I agree with you. I totally agree. I'm going to, speaking of college hockey tonight, I'm going to watch Northeastern against BU. So awesome. I'm going to Macklin Celebrini, a little Luke Tuck, a little Lane Hudson. I'll give you a little report tomorrow. All right. You had a, is that at Aganis or at Matthews? Uh, it's at Aganis. Okay. All right. Well, yikes, we better let you go. You got to get over there. I know oh, you, you got to get time. Listen, all I, right. I, I, you still talk to Mitch, too, right? <laughs> By the way, I had a great time, Chris, today. So I was on that podcast. Uh, Jimmy, you know what I do for dates? I'm taking Mrs. McGuire with me to go watch the game. Oh, that's awesome. I imagine that Mrs. McGuire has a, a pretty good hockey brain in her right now after being she married to you, I would think. She says I get too intense. <laughs> So she, she's a cerebral, you're the emotional, eh? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> All right, that's for a whole other topic, maybe not on air. Oh, that's good. And, hey, we see the uh, we see the love coming in there. We appreciate it, guys. Uh, Chad, Alex, Mark, Randy, we appreciate all your compliments uh, coming in. We're really enjoying this. And, um, Pierre, uh, we have another on campus on Friday. You want to tell me about that? Jimmy Madigan, the former – the former head coach, the former player, the former assistant coach, and the current athletic director at Northeastern University will be joining us Friday. And he would have probably joined us earlier this week, Jimmy, but he's out collecting some money. For the <laughs> he's out working. That's he's part of the working. job. That's yeah. part of the job. I'm in a part of the world where there's a lot of sunshine. That's all I'll say. All right. Well, good for him. I he's working, no, he was, he's working the alumni networks. That's what he's doing right now. Good for him. Good for him. Well, listen, everybody, big slate of hockey in the NHL tonight. And uh, as Pierre said, he's going to catch a nice college hockey game as well. All you guys out there, enjoy the hockey. And Pierre and I will talk to you tomorrow on the eye test on the Sick Podcast Network. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the eye test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.